0: everyone, and welcome to this special edition of FuneralRadio.com. My name is Raymond Akins, and tonight I'll be serving as your host moderator for what we like to call the special holiday edition. Uh, the goal of the show, of course, is to feature and to introduce to our listeners some of the personalities who host their own channels on our website. Our founder, uh, Tyler Frazier, let me just say at the outset, this was his brainchild. This, he was the moving force behind tonight's show but uh i think in a way it makes perfect sense for uh to our listeners we want to introduce or expose you to uh some of the many contributors who are Uh, present on the site from time to time. And as you get to know them, uh, perhaps you will take the time out and and follow them more so in the future. So uh, we'll begin the segment by first going around the table, uh, introducing everyone who is uh, present. Diane, I have your name first on my list. And if you'd like to maybe Uh, Give us a brief intro about yourself, and after we've gone around the table, we'll get into an interchange of uh, Q&A.
1: Sure, that sounds great. Yeah, my name is Diane Gray, and I run a company called Hospice and Healthcare Communications, but I didn't get here overnight. Like a lot of people, um, my life was turned upside down by the loss, in my case, the loss of my son. Um, My son Austin died nine years ago when he was 14 years old following a long-term illness um, which was a rare neurodegenerative brain disorder. So Austin died slowly, you know, little by little uh, from the age of four turning five and died eventually at age 14. Uh, from there, I've always been a journalist and a writer. And, um, you know, so I ran the book division of a publishing company and eventually started my own communications company within the end of life and palliative care space. So I'm a A journalist, a a speaker, an author, and um, producing films, a documentary on end of life care. Um, My whole, my show is transformed by grief. Um, I really feel that grief provides tremendous opportunities for us to make choices in our lives and uh, how we can uh, navigate the often tumultuous and and sometimes rocky path um, of healing. Um, but it also provides us with with incredible opportunities for for transformation, and so that 's what we 'll explore on my
0: call-in show okay, very good, Joe, are you there? I am
2: the founder of the Green Burial Council, and i 've been working on the fringe of funeral service for about fifteen years and i i 'm um, really interested in working in this space where death has an opportunity to connect with life. And I think that's really what drew me to the idea of green burial. Um, I think a lot of our conventions over the last century or so have alienated us from death and, and, and impeded it from being able to connect with life. And nature teaches us that they're intended to go together and, and do so quite well. And I think there's a lot of solace that comes from knowing that death can indeed connect with life. And green burial does that in some ways very nominally, but I think it's very powerful um, psychologically and spiritually as a result and environmentally. Um, And so uh, I've been trying to, I guess, engage the public in a conversation about how we can make sure that our end-of-life rituals do everything uh, they can to help us um, honor the dead and heal the living and invite in the divine on our terms.
0: That's excellent. Very well said. Uh, Dan, are you there? I am. Dan, uh, tell everybody about yourself uh, for whatever few out there who haven't heard of you by now.
3: Well, Ray, one of the benefits of being a uh, media whore is hopefully uh, (laughs) I've done my job well enough that, People uh, have learned my name. Most people get confused on the different things that we do. And therefore, the Dana Assard Show on Funeral Radio is intended to give a smattering of these different aspects. My job in life uh, and the last 30 years applying that to funeral service is to take common business practices that exist in every aspect of the business world and translate it to the funeral professionals and cemetery professionals So that way they can operate their businesses a little bit better. And I do that by my own ramps, as well as my uh, opportunity to interview other people that I think get it and need to put their voice out there for the funeral home managers and operators and cemeterians to make sure they can improve their business practices.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, Colleen. Hi, Ray. Tell us about yourself.
4: Thanks, Ray. I represent the four legged side of our business tonight, and I represent all those family members that happen to come with a little bit of fur and and four legs and a, and a tail. So I, I bring that part to it. My, uh, my radio show that I've got coming up next year, Coffee with Colleen actually, is going to be a show that's going to focus on the side of loss that uh, a lot of people may call a disenfranchised grief. It's uh, a loss of a family member that uh, there's a portion of our society that may not recognize the pet as a family member. And so therefore our families out there that are having the death and experiencing the death of a precious little pet may not know where to turn or or may not know where to go when, when they need some help in, in the final arrangements of their friends. And, you know, it's it's been an interesting uh, ride here for me, if you will, as the founder of the first standalone pet funeral home in the country to see in the past 12 years where not only our profession but to see also where the pet parent has come and the things that they want to do to honor their pets and the in the grief that they experience and the how how they they want the help and they need the help I mean gosh let's face it we've got uh, we've got families out there that the nuclear family has changed from what it was 5 10 15 20 years ago and uh, a lot of times the only thing that people have are their pets and yes. so we want to bring that side to to the, the the shows here and and again in coffee with Colleen it's gonna be various segments on how to help families and, and the things that are going on in, in pet loss and in, in pet death care and all the way even into things that are happening in final arrangements for crying out loud. The average pet trust right now is $25,000. You've got people that are saying, hey, listen, I want to make sure that should uh, should I die my pets are still living, that they're still taken care of. So we're going to explore every aspect of that. And I'm very, very excited for 2015 and to bring that show to, uh, to our listeners out there.
0: Wow, that sounds great. And uh, well, last but certainly not least, uh, Miss Rubin. Gail, are you there?
5: I am here. Yes. Yes. Gail Rubin, the Doyen of Death. My program is A Good Goodbye, uh, same name as my book, A Good Goodbye, Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die. I bring a light touch to a serious subject, and my goal with the program is to help bring the consumer as well as the funeral business, cemetery business people uh, together in talking about things that a lot of people don't know about before there's a death in the family. And by having these conversations with a light touch on the serious subject, uh, we can help educate people about what they need to know to help reduce stress and family conflict at a time of grief to help families save money, and really to think about the idea of having a good goodbye. So covering a range of issues, everything from behind the scenes at the funeral home to uh, hospice care to, uh, I've been interviewing a lot of authors uh, who have books related to the industry, so... Uh, it's a real eye-opening series of interviews that I've been doing and look forward to doing in the new year.
0: Uh, well, Gail, I've uh, I've been on your uh, website. I've uh, scanned some of the shows you've done in the past, and boy, do you cover a, a, a wide range of subjects as relates to death care. And let me say right off the bat, it, it's awfully good knowing you as well as the others on the uh, the panel tonight. Uh, a little bit about myself, and then we're going to get to uh, Mister Fraser Tyler, and let's let's hear his his little story. But you know, I'm the I'm the son of a funeral director. Uh, I'm married into a family of funeral providers uh, at a very early age. Uh, I remember my dad coming to me and saying, "You know, son, I you know love it if you follow my footsteps in this business." <laughs> And I remember telling him, you must be absolutely crazy. (laughs) No way I'm going to be a funeral director. I went on to uh, uh, graduate uh, uh, with a degree in uh, finance and economics. I served as an investment banker for years. But throughout this time, my father never got off my back. And uh, to make a long story short, I went to mortuary school on an evening program the goal was just to have my father shut up and get off my back. Now, here it is. I've gone on, uh, I guess I've been around funeral homes since I was uh, seven years old, but uh, something happened when I was in my mid-40s, and uh, something else happened just this year, and I accepted the role uh, of a funeral evangelist. I'm interested in all aspects of funeral service. I am a Former certified hospice volunteer, I serve on the. Uh, I'm a well, I serve the board of a leading uh, end of life care organization here in Chicago, and uh, uh, I write, of course, about uh, not only the financial aspects, but the focus also is on marketing and what's going on in our industry. I think these times are really tumultuous. Uh, People have been calling, people like Dan have been calling for years in terms of warning the industry what we need to do to facilitate the growth given this new operating environment we're in where we're dealing with boomers and empowered consumers. However, the response on the part of our profession, it still seems to be a rather slow take up and the prognosis is that I guess long term there are going to be fewer players, but For those of us, uh, those out there who are willing to listen, who are willing to hear the message, I'd like to do everything in my power to not only uh, state that uh, I think this is a great profession and I'm going to lump everything under end-of-life care, but um, I can think of few opportunities that offer so much satisfaction as the panelists have so far uh, stated. So uh, that's all for me for now. But uh, Tyler, what, what do you have to say? Uh, well, um, my name is Tyler
6: Fraser and um, I started, funeral. Uh, well, I, I started with funeral directors chat about uh, approaching six years ago now and um, with Nancy Bourbon and that show, Uh, did really well. And I just thought that, uh, the, uh, medium of audio there's audio is not going to go anywhere traveling to, uh, to work or on a run, you know, you can listen to, listen to education. And, um, and I thought that funeral radio would be a terrific idea and it kind of went, uh, slowly. And, um, the next show was Joe Seagy's and it's kind of grown from there. And, um, it's really been a pleasure, um, editing the shows and learning from all these educated individuals and um, just uh, it's been a pleasure this has been a really fun ride
0: okay uh, I'll start out with a very general question if that's okay over the past year in 2014 uh, trends whichever you're invested in you've seen uh, the you've seen them I suppose continue to <coughs> Uh, Evolve and as you look forward to 2015, and keeping in mind that some of you know we serve a professional community. Uh, would any of you like to uh, chime in as to where you think the great opportunities uh, are going to be? Technology, <laughs> okay. I
6: have to say, I think uh, the application of new and emerging technologies is going to be a big role in. Uh, funeral homes surviving?
2: I think that uh, funeral service is going to have to put an emphasis on service. And I think a lot of Americans want to uh, have an alternative to the merchandise based model of death care. And I think that we're starting to see people come into this field breathing new life. And I think professionalization um, is going to get a big push.
4: I'll kinda I'll kinda tag onto that too. And in fact in my in my area is we're playing catch up with all you guys that are sitting on it on this panel today and I know that's my mission and my charge of what I do as a voice for the pet parents and also the veterinarian is to help educate them on, you know, new technology, emerging technology, if you will, help emphasize service. I find it interesting that in in my area of death care that a veterinarian will broad brush a a decision and make a decision for an entire client base of his that says you're all going to get the same urn and the same bag of stuff that's going to go home with you. And I think that, as somebody already said on this call today, the educated consumer is going to want more. And I believe that that's where we're headed in the area of pet of pet death care and the, and the offerings there.
0: Any Anyone who's ever had a pet, uh, you know, I know how close they could come. a matter of fact, my last two pets, if I just made just add this tack on this note, I resolved never to own a pet again because the loss was so, was so traumatic and devastating. But That was many years ago, and I'm seeing almost on a regular basis news about people wanting to offer uh, some kind of a tribute or... Uh, proper, um, you know, disposing of their of their pet.
4: And I get sad when I hear people say that I lost the pet X many years ago, and I just won't go through it again. I think that that, that is a test of, a testament to how many how much services have come, and how many places now give pet parents a, a safe place to go to grieve and to mourn and to do what they need to do to to honor the life shared. Much like all the words that we say with everybody else sitting on this panel, the words that we say when it comes to to our human family members are
0: skin family members, if you will. Joe, I hear in uh, a lot of what you mentioned, there's an undercurrent of uh, a deep, what I call awareness. Uh, I was wondering if you could, uh, am I picking up on this right? You seem to to be uh, not a contemplative, but reflect a lot on what this end of life, uh, the opportunities for growth it represents. And maybe you might speak for... uh, those of us who are uh, on the panel today and those of us who serve in this industry?
2: Well, I think that anyone that's been around this work knows how honorable it is and, and what a, uh, what, what a a, 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 great service it is to be able to work with people at the end of life. And I think that we're seeing, um, we know that within any field, there are people that take um, their work seriously and other people that see it as more of a trade or a business opportunity. Um, But I think that um, I'm just sensing that people are recognizing we need to have perhaps some um, new skills and training um, brought in uh, to to the fold to, to support what is a changing marketplace and awareness. And I think that I'm just I'm working on uh, on the fringe or on the the leading edge in some ways of what's going on and and, and I'm looking at what might be emerging perhaps um, which is that people people want to want to have uh, end of life rituals that are really reflective of their. Uh, their core values, and um, want to have more of an opportunity to participate, which is what I think in some ways Green Burial has been providing. Um, But I agree with what's been said. I think everyone, you can tell with what everyone's saying, that um, these are people who really care greatly about this work. And it's really, really important work. And the longer I stay around it, the the more strongly I feel uh, that way.
5: Um, in my talks, when I go around speaking to the public, I, I'm Jewish and I often say that Jewish burial is the closest you can get to green burial in a conventional cemetery. And people who are considering cremation, when they hear about this, start to reconsider. So I think the idea of, you know, getting more natural with one's burial is, um, is, is very appealing to the baby boomer generation. And that's what I'm seeing out there. You know, in concert with what
1: everyone else is saying, um, I think we're going to also see a shift in the desire for the consumer to, um, A, increase awareness of their choices, and then, B, actualize those choices. They want to, they want to know what is possible and what the options are for them prior to entering into that space. And that's where I want to agree with, A, the technology that's going to um, evolve. You know, never before have we had such amazing access to not just uh, death, but the entire end, uh, end of life as a process, also the death experience, also the funeral experience. But I think when you, when you step back and look at it in the overview... Consumers, and not just as a, as a label, but families. Families want to empower themselves with choice. And then they want to assert those decisions and make those choices, even if it causes contentiousness within those families. At the time, they really want, they want guidance and they want help. Whereas before, I think, you know, decades past, we would see families turn to the professional and say, well, Just tell me what to do, right? You know, we used to see that in the delivery room in the 50s. We used to see the woman would go in, the husband would stay out, the doctor would do what he had to do, and then every, you know, kumbaya, here's your baby. Well, We don't see that anymore. We see consumers wanting to make decisions. And I think that will continue. and, And that is a tribute, too, to this network, why I think it's going to do well, because people want to participate in their lives, and, and as well, the grief process.
3: Ray, this is Dan thought. You know, I, I've got to take an alternative point of view. The, the problem is that everyone's answer and aspirations, desires, uh, are absolutely wonderful, uh, but, but I think that they are not grounded in the reality. Uh, the, the problem is that consumers are going to get the choices that funeral directors educate them to. And funeral directors, under the current model of who we are hiring and how we are training them and how we are licensing them, it is a model that was created 100 years ago. The, the methodology of death today, almost 79% of all deaths occur in people over age 65. We've even gone to a new catchphrase called the celebration of life, rather than the funeral, because there's not as much crying when a 75- or 85-year-old person dies. It's more a collection of the memories. So when we deal with the current funeral director, who's educated on embalming a body, when cremation is more than 40% of the utilization of all funerals today, we're dealing with educating, hiring, and training the wrong people to do all the things that uh, Gail, Diane, Colleen, Joe, and, and Tyler have all said. And therefore, I don't think we're going to get the changes until the entire system is turned upside down and inside out.
2: Boy, Dan, I couldn't agree with you more. This is Joe. And it is getting turned inside out. And cremation is one of the disruptive factors. But I think that people always get what they want, don't you? And, and and if this industry and mortuary schools were founded by chemical companies and then supported by casket companies and curricula is largely influenced by a lot of supply concerns, um... People are going to stay away from it if if it's not providing value, and that's one of the problems I think funeral services had because people have Americans, I think, are seeing cremation as an end around. I live in Australia, and I didn't know until I got here that direct cremation doesn't really exist outside of America. Do you guys know that? No. I mean, it's really a construct that was brought about because for a long time, consumers were made to feel that cremation was something that you couldn't get at a funeral home. It was so badly diminished by many people in the industry. And people figured out an end around and direct cremation societies and direct cremation companies came about. And the funeral service industry has been been playing catch up. But I think you're going to need, I think you're starting to see interest in working with people who have the psychosocial spiritual skills. And we've seen this in hospice, even among publicly traded entities, people are, are trained differently. And, and, and obviously that that's affiliated with the medical profession and it makes more sense, but there've been, you know, impediments to professionalizing this field that a lot of us understand. Um, there was a recent doctoral dissertation written about that. And, um, I think that you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think I think it will happen, and 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 things will be upended eventually. I, I can't see how the status quo is going to be able to maintain itself.
0: We had a show on my channel uh, where I interviewed a, a hospice specialist, and um, the discussion. If I had to summarize, maybe some grand themes, and of course, everyone here on this panel is aware that uh, the baby boomers, as we move through the life stages, we tend to change and upset all existing, pre-existing marketing paradigms. And uh, one thing that came out of this show was, of course, uh, the fact that we're living longer But if you look at the projections on the age curve, this country, America, is rapidly becoming uh, subject to the the impact of aging. More and more people, I think the most recent figure was like, uh, it could be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, a a quarter million people are turning 65 uh, every day. And it's going to be that way for about the next uh, 20 years or so. Uh, those that we'll have, uh, as far as the oldest old in the population, I guess that's what, over 80, uh, there'll be like one in five people within a time horizon that we could uh, maybe all uh, see occur. But here's the catch. We're living longer, but we're living, we're not living without pain and discomfort. And that additional length of time especially in light of the, uh, the economic collapse of 2008-2009, the mounting losses that people have experienced, uh, the, the health challenges, that gives us more and more time to address the question that a lot of the aging population is asking themselves. Is, is this all there is to it? it you know, has, there's got to be more. Is this how I sum up my life? You know, what do I want to do uh, going forward? Uh, Diane and Dan, can you both maybe address that?
1: Um, So, yeah, I I think in some ways we we are wandering the wilderness because we're seeing a bit of a shift. We're seeing consumers demanding better care. We're seeing consumers demand better communication between clinicians, but... Unfortunately, on the other hand, we're still seeing a medical model that so often says, you know, just because we can, then we will. More chemo, more radiation. I was speaking uh, regarding a family today that, you know, do anything, try anything. We don't want to die. We don't want to die. We don't want our loved one to die. More chemo. You know, and this, this patient was unfortunately at end stage, end stage, Right. So I think there is confusion there's a there's a fear of death which is understandable. I uh, I do have hope versus I know some others do not. I think we're going to see a shift in the next, you know, decade or two when we we start to uh see millions and millions 76 million people entering the end of life process as either care uh caregivers or patients. Yes. Right? We're going to have to start demanding uh, some transparency and, and improved communication. So I agree with you now. We do, by and large, see people walking around uh, lost as they're trying to find their way through this um, end-of-life process for either themselves or loved ones.
3: Ray, this is Dan Assard, and, and I think I, I approach this from a little different perspective, uh, certainly as we talk about the audience uh, that we all aim our shows towards, the the key is that our our clients are changing dramatically.
0: Yes. In in
3: 1950, a funeral home was associated with a church or one of several churches. Uh, Today, the single largest church in the United States is the no church it's not jewish or catholic or protestant it's spiritual Uh, match.com in a recent survey they did almost 40 percent of their um subscribers were spiritual not religious in the nfda survey that was done the second largest church was spiritual not religious uh so the entire idea of death dying choice of funeral homes choice of decisions for the consumer to make is changing because the rules are changing. The baby boomers that in the 1960s and 70s banned the draft, changed colleges, took a president out of office, burned their bras and their draft cards. Today they're saying we're going to die on our own terms. And the funeral home, if it's going to be a viable commercial mediator of this process, that funeral home is going to have to change as well.
0: Okay. Uh, it doesn't appear, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate, as though they're, the funeral directors are getting this message. Uh, if so, you might see change in their in their marketing approach. Uh, why is it, do you think that, that they're such slow adapters, even in the face of declining volumes and shifts in the product mix. Uh, why do they hold on to life rafts that aren't serving them at all in the long run?
3: The last piece of technology, funeral service adapted universally, was gravity. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ray, it's no doubt that funeral service is slow to change. It's slow to adapt. In fact, there are slow adapters that look at funeral directors behind them. Uh, we're dealing with a profession that is so focused on the care of, of, of one-to-one service that they take exception when somebody wants a non-funeral in their eye. And and that's a shame because every family needs a funeral director, but they need a funeral director that's going to give them options, hope, choices, give them those options, hopes, and choices in advance of the time of need. Yes. The 36 hours uh, for a Jewish funeral, the uh, 72 hours for a, a non-Jewish funeral, th- that time goes so fast when you are in shock. And, and the funeral directors are not being proactive in getting the message of what these options are out to the public.
0: Tyler, if uh, I'd like to ask you a question. Uh, you're at the uh, level where you probably are aware of the input of uh, everyone. Who, you, you edit our material. Uh, from the comments you're hearing tonight, Does this give you any guidance as to where we might go with the show? Uh, uh, There are not very many products out there like what it is that you offer. Uh, Clearly, we've got to improve our penetration. uh, But have you gotten any sense for how we might best go forward in the new year? Well, I think
6: continuing to produce the excellent content that we're producing is a big part of it. Um, Listenership is consistently rising. Um, Some new things that are in the pipeline, we'll be having a a mobile application to listen to our shows in the future. So um, that'll be just a nice uh, program that you can download and hit play uh, on, on your favorite show. Um, So that'll ease the access. Um, And then also CEUs. I'll I'll be focusing on um, offering testing for CEUs for state and funeral organizations so that we can
0: um, add some additional value to being a listener at Funeral Radio. Okay. Anyone else have any ideas they'd like to contribute?
3: Ray, this is Dan Assard. I would like just to uh, offer on behalf of uh, my colleagues on this program that, uh, especially with this being the Christmas season, uh, I think Tyler, uh, since he has beat the drum so effectively for Funeral Radio, uh, his uh, stage name should now be uh, the Little Drummer Boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I, I didn't mention also that I am a uh, uh, certified funeral celebrant. I've yet to lead uh, my own service, my market is primarily the African American community, and. You know, Dan, when you mentioned religiosity versus spirituality, uh, perhaps the African-American market uh, and Hispanics to a certain extent is the last bastion of uh, maybe diehard uh, religionists. Uh, but clearly there are shifts going on. But I want to say this, and Diane, you might understand, uh, uh, as a uh, the training... Uh, To become a celebrant, what it taught me was to help construct the narrative. And what I do now, I operate um, our funerals. We've had a a pretty nice year. We're doing all right. But clearly, uh, my impact, I felt myself more effective in terms of my ability to help a family bring out... uh, what appears to be operating at a deeper level, and and what I I want to suggest that there's a kind of a superficial level that I think we all operate, where we skim across the surface of life. Sometimes we let other people define what our story is, without any effort to. Go into and really explore what the loss of a of an individual meant, and in many cases you know they, they you could say you know that that darn uncle he was not, he was no good, he was a drunk, but then you you go deep enough and you find out, boy, that he just made he made such a difference because he believed in family and he loved, and his just may have been in some cases a story that you may not be that proud of but one thing you know, for some reason, he resonated or responded to the call that is family. Uh, I don't know. Does someone want to help me flesh that out a little bit?
5: This this is Gail. Uh, I'm a certified celebrant also and have created with families a number of Celebration of Life services. Yes. Yes. In- all sorts of different settings one was at the home in the in the garden under the willow tree that this woman had planted and she tended her garden and we held the event there and you know i interviewed the family for at least two hours to pull out the details of this woman's life those kind of service and and by the way every service that i've done the family is like oh my god that was amazing very healing experience these are the kind of experiences that our baby boomer generation is looking for. They just don't know that, they, that they're that they looking for it. And um,
0: Exactly, that's my point.
5: Yeah, we need to get the word out more about celebrant services and uh, the kind of healing that they can provide to those people who are spiritual but not religious.
3: You know, I, I think that the problem is we as a panel get it. We as a panel understand it. Uh, you know, the Celebrant is it, such a valuable addition to this business. Ernie Hefner from York, Pennsylvania, one of the great rabble rousers of our profession. Uh, Ernie has documented that his increase in case count over the last five years has come because of his adding his staff training to having them qualify as celebrants his increasing case count is not coming from church families but from unchurched families. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: but we have to make a better job uh, as a um, educators uh, of this profession to try to help them understand the benefits of doing it right the risks of doing it wrong and hope that by presenting Uh, Both sides of the picture, they'll make the right decision.
0: Why don't we just go around the table one more time and everyone offer whatever final comments they'd like. This is Dan Assard. I want to wish everyone who's listening a happy and healthy uh, new year and, and, of course,
3: a prosperous 2015. Thank you, Dan. Mrs. Colleen,
4: I'll uh, I'll echo those sentiments with a uh, Merry Christmas and a and a very blessed New Year, and uh, give those little little fur kids little kisses on the nose. This is Diane, and
5: I'm
1: wishing you a lovely holiday season. Uh,
5: this is Gail Rubin. I want to wish everybody a great new year. May you live long and prosper. And remember, talking about sex won't make you pregnant. Talking <laughs> about funerals won't make you dead.
6: There you go. There you go.
4: Nice, <laughs> scale.
6: This is Tyler. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope to have a lot more great content coming in 2015. And this is Josie. He's saying happy holidays and wish everyone a great
2: 2015 as well.
0: That's a wrap. I'm, I'm gonna get out of here again. Uh, I just can't say enough how happy I was to participate, uh, with this very, uh, you know, I, I don't even want to use the word elite because I think what's really behind everything you do is just a desire to serve others. So that's how I'll let it go. And, uh, best of wishes to all the panel and let's do it in, uh, 2015. Thank you.